now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, be sure you subscribe or follow Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. It helps us out a ton, and it hardly takes any time. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us, so that's why I've got to remind everybody about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. The reason they wanted to sponsor this podcast is simple. They're owned and operated by Carolina fans, so not only do you get great seafood at a great price, but you're also supporting one of your own, a true win-win. For everybody wondering, my go-to order is the famous gift box where you get two massive crab cakes, two kinds of crab soup, and a half pint of crab dip. Visit them online at jimmysfamousseafood.com and at checkout, use the promo code hashtag GDTBATH for free two-day shipping. That's promo code hashtag GDTBATH. All right, today we've got a special guest joining me. We've got Amanda Balionis, one of CBS's best reporters when it comes to golf who just so happens to be the fiance of former Tar Heel quarterback Bryn Renner an absolute fan favorite Amanda I watch every golf tournament every week I feel like I've begun to notice you work more and more Carolina blue into the outfit is that a coincidence or is that the Bryn Renner effect yeah, no, that's not a coincidence. I'm just really trying to be a good fiance here. <laughs> but it also didn't hurt that we recently were, of course, at Quill Hollow in North Carolina. And I felt strongly I could not show up in the state of North Carolina without <laughs> repping Tar Heel Blue. So I, I'm, I'm glad that you noticed that means that I did it the right way. <laughs> we'll talk more about Bryn later. At the PGA Championship, you became the first female broadcaster in major golf history to preside over the presentation of the Wanamaker Trophy. What did that moment mean to you personally? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, it's always one of those things that it's shocking at this point in 2021 to be able to be the first of anything, especially, uh, you know, when you think about the world of golf and how long it's been around and, and all of the incredible people that have come before me. Um, so I think I was more surprised than anything that that was the case, but yeah, I mean, listen, you just, you want to do a good job. And I always say, you know, when I think about women empowerment um, and diversity in, in sports or, or really in any workplace, I want it to get to a point where it's not, she's the best female for the job, or it's not the best, whatever for the job, you're just the best for the job. Right. So that's always my goal is to go out there and just be the best for that role, for that job. Um, and it was, pretty incredible uh, to be in that moment and to watch that moment as Phil was walking up 18. I was, I was behind the green and I'm standing there with a bunch of people from the PGA of America and our jaws are on the floor watching these fans uh, just follow him and, and usher him up to history. And it was, I still get goosebumps thinking about it because, you know, I, I think oftentimes we think only Tiger Woods can have that effect on our game. And so often he has been the one to create those iconic moments, but Phil was just, it was just a tremendous reminder 
um, of not only what he was accomplishing, but that people still very much care about this game and care about the history of this game. And the fact that we had fans back and they could in person witness history. Um, I think that was the overflowing of excitement that you saw that Phil said perfectly was, um, you know, I think what did he say? It was slightly unnerving, but incredibly awesome, <laughs> which, which I think is how all of us felt in that moment. We're like, oh my gosh, are we okay? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. All at the same time, we were just all a big ball of emotion. <laughs> I like watching now to see you just as much as I like watching the golf, whether it's the stats and interview, the flawless touchscreen execution. Do you ever get nerves before they go live to you? Or is it something where you've gotten so many reps that it's just natural at this point? No, I still get so nervous uh, before anything I do. It's, um, I guess that means I care, right? But it's, you know, you, you want to do a good job. And there's so many moving parts, um, especially with our smart card. It's, I wish people, we need to do a better job. I need to do a better job. Probably. I, I usually thank our team once a year and, uh, you know, on social media, but I, I really should do a better job of documenting the all-star team that I have that allows me to do that final 10%, which is what you see on camera. You know, we have five or six people there at all times, you know, from having a full lighting set to obviously our camera guy to um, our technology with, you know, ARL, that 3D technology you see now and, and the guys that drive our cart from, from tournament to tournament and also are the ones who know how to troubleshoot it. And then we have people offsite in New Zealand and uh, in New Jersey. And when there are things that go wrong with that technology as, as it always does because it's live television and it's technology, right? So, um, you know, and you have that many moving parts and that sophisticated of a machine that things go wrong, but I have such an amazing team that you would never know it when we go on camera. Um, and that really is not a testament to me. That's a testament to everyone who works their butts off that, you know, to make us look good. Um, but yeah, I get really nervous before every on camera or voiceover. Um, I must practice it a hundred times. And I did that while I was coming up the ranks and I still do it now today. I, I firmly believe that being prepared and being the most prepared one in the room is what eases my anxiety. So I rehearse as much as I can um, and just make sure I, I know what I'm talking about, like the back of my hand. Cause I feel like even if I forget verbatim what I'm supposed to be saying, as long as I know what I'm talking about, really, it can't be too much of a disaster. <laughs> you had mentioned the scene at 18 at Kiowa while Phil was making history at the same time. The, the two most beloved golfers on the tour, it's still Phil and it's still Tiger where if they're in contention, everyone is pulling for them. Do you remember what it was like meeting Tiger Woods for the first time? Because he seems to have that aura bigger than life kind of personality around him. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I tell this story a decent amount and I actually told it to Tiger not long ago. I was MC, I was doing a Q&A with him for his, uh, for his charity at the Genesis Invitational where his uh, the TGR Foundation is a beneficiary. And early in the week, uh, we did a, you know, sit down q and This must have been three or four years ago. And someone asked about how nerve wracking it is to interview Tiger Woods. And, you know, whether you've interviewed him once or 20 times, I, I think it's nerve wracking one, because you realize that you have the honor of interviewing a living, breathing icon, you know, and, and you don't get many of those in, in any of our lifetimes, right? I, I, I don't think it really hit home for me that much until Kobe Bryant passed away. And we had to interview Tiger about that. And it was just such a reminder that like, man, 
there aren't many people in the sports world or beyond who can relate to someone like Kobe Bryant, but Tiger Woods can, right? And he is still playing and he's still competitive and we still get to witness that and generations get to witness that greatness, um, which is pretty special. And of course, we hope that that continues and, and he comes back. But, uh, you know, one of the first, and it was really one of the first sit down interviews I ever did in golf, period. I think my first one was Ernie Els. Um, I just joined PGATour.com. It was 2011. Uh, Ernie was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that was awesome. I sat down and talked to him. I was super nervous. And then uh, Tiger had just released this EA Sports night golf game. I don't know if you remember that, but it was super yeah. cool. And there were a bunch of players involved, but obviously Tiger was, was the headline of that. And they said, okay, you're going to do that sit down interview with Tiger. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That sounds great. So talk about doing reps. They gave me a list of, I want to say maybe 20 questions and they were all pre-approved. I was already told you can't go off script with these, um, which is not great for me because I tend to ad lib a lot. Um, you know, when I rehearse things, I never say it the same way twice. It's just the way my brain works. Right. And so I was like, okay, we can't go off script. Don't get cute with any of this. And I memorized, I was so nervous. I memorized all 20 questions verbatim in order, <laughs> never looked down at my paper once. And he walked into this room and right before he was doing this interview with little old me who just started in golf and really knew not much. Um, he had just done an interview with Robin Roberts who talk about one of the, the goats, right? I'm like, oh, that's, that's a terrible person to have to follow up. There's no way I can uh, compete with this. So he sits down. The clock starts. We know we have a certain amount of time with him. And I will forever be grateful that the camera shot was only from the waist up because from the waist down, my legs were visibly shaking and I could not get them to stop. I just had to like be okay with being that embarrassingly nervous in the moment. Um, but Tiger was so, he was so wonderful. Um, and he has been wonderful since that day and on. I have never had anything but you know, really great experiences with him. Um, he is always such a champion of people who work hard and, and giving people their opportunities and diversifying the game and bringing kids into this game uh, that maybe otherwise wouldn't have that chance. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been really like an honor to be able to work around him and with him for as long as I have. I remember when golf was worried about the post tiger era because of the stardom that he brought to the sport. What has it been like for you to not only see, but cover this next youngish wave of town on tour with guys like Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Kyle Morikawa. Bryson DeChambeau, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you, you really could go on Matthew Wolf. Like it's um, yeah, we were worried for a little bit because, and I think any sport that has someone like a Tiger Woods, is going to be worried like, Oh no, what happens when that huge presence, um, you know, when, when they go away, because it's, it's not forever, you know? And, and I think what moves the needle with tiger and what we were worried about with others is when tiger woods ran away with a tournament, say he's coming into Sunday with an eight shot lead, right? Anyone else that's going to kill ratings for a Sunday. Everyone's like, okay, well, it's, no one really wants to see a blowout, right? Like in any sport, and Tiger, if he's coming into Sunday with an eight-shot lead, everyone's tuning in to see how many he can win by, and and everyone's living and dying by each shot, right? And like that, that's the Tiger effect. And it doesn't matter what he's doing; it doesn't matter how great he is or how far behind he is. Everybody wants to see what he's doing, how he's doing it, and and just catch a glimpse of it, right? So we know 
that that's a once in a lifetime thing, right? We know that that's not going to be the way it looks moving forward when Tiger Woods steps away. So I think it's only natural to have that concern. Um, but all of a sudden you have the young guys start to come in that learned from Tiger that grew up watching him. Um, I forget there was a player the other day who said in a press conference, they asked him about watching another guy grow up. And he said, I don't really remember. I, I was just so focused on Tiger my entire childhood. And like, couldn't even, couldn't even bring up another memory from another player. And I think what we're starting to see is they now play like Tiger. They work out like Tiger. They're fearless like Tiger. Um, and it's starting to create some really cool rivalries um, that are going to create those moments of greatness spread out through a bunch of different players now, right? It's not just living and dying by one player. It's this whole new crowd coming up um, that does things in a different and very cool way. And then, of course, you add the fact that the pandemic grew the game of golf in a way none of us could have predicted. Um, golf is becoming really cool now. So I, I think that combined with these young guys that grew up watching Tiger and wanting to be like him and playing like him, uh, that combination has made us all feel much better about, you know, the, where our game is at and who's going to be ushering it into the next generation moving forward. Covering the sport, you, you've either played at or visited nearly every golf course that could be on a fan's bucket list. What would you say your favorite courses that you've been to? Oh, I mean, Augusta national is just, it's, it's hallowed ground, right? You walk on there and you feel like a kid in a candy store you don't stop smiling. It doesn't matter how many times you're there, right? Like you are smiling ear to ear from the moment you walk on those grounds until the moment you have to be dragged off of the grounds <laughs> until the following year. Um, that That's a bucket list one for sure. Um, I never take it for granted. Pebble Beach is another one. That's like, I always say it's one of the happiest weeks of the entire year. And it's not just because of the course, it's because of the whole town around it. Um, it's just it's just that Pebble Beach vibe is is unbelievable. Um, Riviera is another one that I love. And I know I sound like a California homer, but I guess I do live there now. So I love it. Um, Torrey Pines is, is another one. That was actually one of the first golf courses that I got to go to in person and just, I, I understood it. You know, I understood why, even if you don't want to go play golf, I understand why you would want to be out there and just walk and, and be in that beauty, um, that is just unparalleled. So those are, those are definitely some of my favorites. I could, could probably keep naming a bunch for you, but those are the ones that to me are like the jaw dropping beauty of what bring people, what brings people into the game and hopefully keeps them there then. And then to follow that up, if you could go golfing with any three other famous people, and it doesn't just have to be professional golfers, who would it be and why? Mm, three other fate, three famous people. Let's see. I mean, I guess you got to put Tiger Woods on there, right? Because you, you want to pick his brain. It was brain. online, yeah. Yeah, for how could he not be? <laughs> um, let's see. Who else would I want to play a round of golf with? They're so, I mean, oh, you're putting me on the spot here. This shouldn't be that hard, but this is really hard for me. You know, I would say Jack Nicholas for sure. And then let's throw in... Let's throw in someone that just like you just want to meet and hang out because they seem awesome. Maybe Mark Cuban. Mark that's Cuban a, actually hates golf. I had an interview with him about this 
but I've been binge watching a lot of Shark Tank recently and I'm just reminded about how cool he is. And I'm like, man, I bet you have stories <laughs> for days. And I would very much like to pick your brain and tell me how to invest so I can retire in 10 years and never work again. <laughs> yeah, my three were, um, it was Tiger Woods. I would just kind of want to just watch him. I wouldn't even really want to talk to him. I just kind of watch him, <laughs> how he approaches the game. I had um, Barack Obama. And Ooh, then that's a I good had uh, Steph Curry because I just love basketball and he's big for the game of golf. But that kind of leads yeah. perfectly into my next question, because you worked at Steph's Charity Classic where you got to play at Pebble Beach. You've interviewed legends at Augusta. You were the on-course reporter for the match with Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods last year. Do you have any moment in particular where you've caught yourself looking around like I cannot believe this is my job? I mean, honestly, I'm not just saying this. That's kind of me every week, right? It's like, what? I get to I get to do that. People want me here to, to do this. Um, you know, Pebble Beach is a big one. The match was the match was a mind-blowing moment for sure. Um, I think that was for a couple reasons. You know, one, it was one of the first live sporting events to be aired uh during COVID. And we were deep into COVID at that point, uh, but in terms of like you know, isolation and nothing being open and um, to see some sense of normalcy come together and have it all be to raise money for at a time when everyone was kind of just looking for what they should be doing to help. Um, And then seeing Tom Brady outside of his normal football ways uh, was pretty cool, you know, and I, I actually got to drive around and and witness a practice round uh, with Justin Thomas and Tiger and uh, when Peyton and, you know, I was, I felt like I was just like a fly on the wall hanging out with them for a little bit. I barely talked. I was so scared. I'm like, what if they forgot that I was here? And that's the only reason why they haven't picked me out of this, <laughs> this like practice round. Um, but yeah, those, those are definite moments where you're like, wow, my life is, how did we get here? Um, and I get to do actually, Later tonight, I'm doing a Q&A with, um, with Mr. Jack Nicholas, and he's always one that whenever I get to sit there and pick his brain in front of people and talk to him about the 86 Masters and, and all of his memories, um, you know, he's just another example of, of greatness that is still alive and well and able to talk to us about these iconic moments that we all kind of grew up watching. Um, oh, and you know what? Saturday at Pebble Beach. And when I get to walk up with the celebrities, like my entire job on Saturday is to hang out on 17 and just chat with celebrities. <laughs> like, hey, Macklemore, how's it going, man? Do you want to like sing to us a couple bars of your new song? Like it's, it's <laughs> ridiculous that I get to do that and call it work um, on one of the most beautiful courses in the world. So I have a lot of those moments, but those are definitely a few off the top of my head. This past month, you've been to Quail Hollow in Charlotte, Kiowa Island, and most recently you were in Dallas, Texas with upcoming trips to Ohio, South Carolina, and then San Diego for the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. How hectic is your travel schedule, and how do you keep up with it all? Yeah, if Bryn's listening to this right now, he's screaming. She doesn't. It's, it's very <laughs> overwhelming. Um, you know, it's it, it's a it's a grind, right? And it's not a bad grind. When I say that, it's, I'm trust me, I am not complaining. Um, but the travel... The travel is is definitely the part that can wear on you and balancing that time to create rest for yourself and time for your loved ones um, with preparing for for really big tournaments and really big moments. Um, that that just is 
you know, I heard this quote once and I was like, man, that is so true. You can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. Right. So um, my idea of balance is probably not someone else's who gets to be at home with their loved ones, you know, seven days a week. Um, Bryn and I constantly feel like we're just stealing days um, together and, and same thing with my mom and, and my family. But, you know, when we do get the downtime, we maximize the downtime probably more than anyone else because, because we have to. So um, I, I try to make it fun with the travel, right? Like my mom will come out for some of her favorite events. Um, you know, Bryn will come out to some of his favorite events now that we're allowed, uh, you know, to have family out again. So um, yeah, it's, you just try to create your own routine, whatever that looks like on the road, even though it's, it's not um, always the most glamorous, but uh, you know, there's, there's two sides to every coin, right? There's no perfect job. There's no perfect situation. I think I have, I have it as pretty close to a perfect situation as you can get. Uh, but I would say the sacrifice to that is learning how to balance with, with all of that travel and still making time for, you know, being a real human being and also just trying to be really great at the best job on, on earth. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that with brain coaching quarterbacks at FIU, with coaches working crazy hours and having such yeah. a time off that in a way it, it must kind of help your relationship where you are so busy that any time spent together is that much more meaningful. But that kind of leads me to the, the Bryn part of this podcast. How did you two meet? <laughs> so we, man, when you talk about things happening for a reason, um, I was supposed to be doing an NFL game and got the call late so it was what november 2019 and got the call that hey we're pulling you off this nfl game we're putting you on on this college game and i was like man okay like i wasn't really sure what was going on i was kind of mad like i didn't i didn't really know what was happening but um i had done an entire previous season with aaron murray and, and rich waltz who are two of my very favorite people to work with um so when they told me who i was working with i was like okay fine so I, it's the Miami FIU game. I, you know, they're taking over the Marlins baseball park. So the more I hear about this game and why I'm doing it, the, honestly, like the more excited I was getting. My first reaction was, what the heck? And then my second reaction was, okay, this actually kind of sounds pretty cool. So <laughs> we head down to Miami and it's game day. And we're there kind of early just because we're trying to scope out what the situation is with the baseball park and the things that we need to make note about and, you know, whatever. And Aaron Murray and I are having our meal break and I'm just drinking coffee, which is what I usually, Brim will tell you now, it's the most on-brand thing of all time. I'm usually just inhaling caffeine at all times. Um, he came up because he and Aaron Murray have known each other forever. Aaron, obviously quarterback at Georgia. Um, they kind of grew up competing against each other. And Bryn came over to say hi to Aaron and I was sitting next to him. And um, Bryn tells it way better than I. If you ask Bryn, it was love at first sight. He was like, I just knew it. Something hit me over the head. I was kind of like, who was this guy? <laughs> Asked Aaron. And then like kind of just went back into work mode. Um, and then he came up to me like two minutes before the game, which is ridiculous. And I was getting ready for my hit. And he came up to me and told me this lie that there was uh, a hole on the 17 yard line. So if anyone went down on the 17 yard line, he just wanted me to know that like, that's what was happening. And, and I could give that in my report. It turned out to be a complete lie. He, <laughs> I guess was coming up to ask me for my number. 
I did not look like the most approachable person on the planet because I'm at work, Bryn, by the way. Um, and he like completely just like froze and just told this lie instead of asking me for my number. So uh, after that, he, uh, I think he, you know, he asked Aaron about me and I kind of asked Aaron about him. And then we started talking and that was kind of it. It was just like, it was so and I think that was, that ended up being like the only college game I did all season. Like it was, it was such a crazy, wow. like there was such crazy timing to it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we met. So I guess I, I owe football and, uh, and my, and my job, my future <laughs> husband. <laughs> that night FIU stunned Miami 30 to 24. It was like the <laughs> biggest win in school history. Did the win kind of help your, uh, liking Bryn maybe a little bit more where it's like you doesn't no, knows what happened. I don't think that cares for me, but I do think he kind of saw that as like, well look, we decided like clearly she's the good luck charm. And I think I might have told him that too. Like look clearly I bring nothing but good things now into your life. So you're welcome for that. I also saw on um I think it was on Instagram on your engagement post. You mentioned that your first phone conversation with Bryn lasted over three <laughs> hours. And my only question there is how, <laughs> you know what the sad thing is too. The next night it was another three hours. <laughs> like we just, uh, you know, it's like, and he, I always joke with him. The reason I think he was single is because he's the worst texter I've ever seen in my whole life. Like, and you, I'm sure you've texted with them. So you know, this, like it's a lot of random text. things. It's a lot. It's, it's just a lot of everything. It's like a lot of capitalizations, a lot of exclamation points. And I'm like, I remember telling my friends, like, I'm out on this guy. I think he's super weird. I don't, I couldn't keep up with this texting. Um, and then I think he kind of, I think he kind of figured out I was slowly trying to back out and he called me. Well, he sent me there. That's a whole other story, but I called him and yeah, he was like a totally different guy on the phone than he was via text. And we talked for over three hours. I'm actually thankful he was a bad texter because I'm pretty sure that's why he was still single. <laughs> uh, there's a brain story for that fans would probably like for me to tell. And I'll tell you too. Um, I switched from track to football after my freshman year at UNC and kind of imagine it being like moving schools in the middle of the school year where you don't know yeah. anybody and everybody kind of already has their clicks. And I remember my first day, I was like, I was just so nervous, like didn't know what to expect. And I was just sitting in my locker and Bryn, like the star quarterback came up to me and like put his arm around me and was like, it's great to meet you, man. Like parties this weekend. Let's go. You're coming with us. Like you're one of my guys now. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And ever since that day, I absolutely love Bryn. You know that, but like that honestly is what every single one of you, because I didn't, I don't know Bryn, the quarterback, right? Like we never met in that space. We both have talked about how like it probably is for the best. We didn't meet in that space. I think we both, um, I think we met at the exact right time. Um, but every single one of his friends that I have met and I talked to have a story like that where he just like, he's just the nicest guy. Like he's so welcoming <laughs> and just like naturally a great leader and wants everyone to like have fun. Cause I just, I think that's what he loves so much about football, right? Like, and he always says this, he's like, I'm a coach because I want to give kids the experience that I got when I was at North Carolina. Even if they can't play at North Carolina, I want them to love the game and love the team as much as I did. And, and that shines through with like the way he treated you, like the way everyone I talked to has that type of story about him, which is, 
it makes, I mean, I guess that gives him some brownie points. So I'm sure he'll be thanking you after this because that does, it makes my heart a little bit bigger. <laughs> Going back with him to UNC, what was your first impression of visiting Chapel Hill? Oh, Chapel Hill is awesome. Um, yeah, it, it kind of does go back to, I don't probably give him the respect he deserves for how, for how loved and well known he is uh, in Chapel Hill. I mean, people still come up to him and I, just, he's so loved and he loves it so much there. Um, it's uh, The town itself is beautiful. I went to Hofstra, so it was not a big football school and that's probably even overstating it. Um, and I just felt like when he took me back to Chapel Hill, everything just felt, feels like a family and a community, you know, which I didn't really have that type of college experience. And I can see why he would love it as much as he still loves it. Um, and when we go back, it's just really fun to see people recognizing him and talking to him and, and like kind of giving the love back to him that I know he feels for everyone there. We went, we went to the bookstore and he said to me, he goes, let's go see if number two, if my jersey is still up there. I'm like, dude, your jersey, you are so old now. Like your jersey is not going to be up there. It was, it was on clearance. <laughs> which I then put on Instagram, which was probably rude of me, but I thought that was hilarious. And we, he bought like the last two of them and we got to the front and the woman was like, wait, you are Bryn Renner, right? Like you, that is your number. And I was like, oh my God, how am I supposed to make fun of you? You just keep showcasing how awesome you are. <laughs> Amanda, before I let you go, I wanted to give you a moment to talk about your nonprofit, Puppies and Golf. What exactly is it and how can listeners help out? Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking. So I started, well, we made it an official uh, 501c3 at the end of December. Um, it's called Puppies and Golf, but we do a lot um, outside of just golf as well. So our main mission is to spread awareness about adopting over going to a breeder first, um, supporting no-kill shelters in all of the cities that we go to, uh, helping shelters that need grants or that if they have a high medical bill they can't afford we'll try to help them pay for that and uh families as well if they have you know uh, rescues or uh, you know even if it's not a rescue if they have a dog who has a you know high medical bill they're having problems paying for it we'll we'll help that family and and do that as well so it's it's really just about enforcing that connection between humans and dogs and how therapeutic it can be and is um and why people should maybe, you know, think about getting a dog in their life. And if they are thinking about it, going to a shelter first. And then we also support uh, organizations that pair military veterans with, um, with service animals. So that's a, that's a really important part of what we do as well. But it's, um, yeah, we kind of touch a bunch of different things, but it really always comes back to the importance of that human dog connection and how it not only can save the dog's life, but can enhance and save um, our lives as well in, in many different ways. Definitely check it out and help her out. Yeah. She's part of the Tar Heel football family now, but just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me, Amanda. I'll, I'll text you over my address for the uh, wedding invitation once we get off. <laughs> Perfect. Let us know. It's next March. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Grab your VIP pass.
We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.